So this is Sheep Stuff You Should Know, uh, if you didn't know already, but uh, I guess since we're recording, we'll just start recording, and this banter's been pretty good, so we'll just keep it rolling, but uh, Dan, Megan, how are you today, sir? Old, how are you? I'm super young, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm totally fine. I, I I put my arthritis cream on my knees this morning and <laughs> went out to the Lambin Barn, a couple of ibuprofens, You're good, three cups good of to coffee. Go. Yeah, it's like I'm 18 years old again. <laughs> I don't know that I want to go back quite that far, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's amazing the difference a year makes. And it's not like I haven't gained any weight. I haven't done just the difference between. And I'm not that old either. I turned 37. So going on 38. And um, I, I feel it a lot more this year than just, last year. Just wait, my friend. <laughs> just wait. I know. It's, <laughs> I, that's what everybody's saying, and I'm not excited about it at all. Hey, no, as sir. long as I'm on this side of the dirt, I'll put up with a few aches and pains, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Just uh, yeah, pain, pain that's management. Right. That's pain right. Management. That's right. Yep. How's lambing going? Uh, it's going exceptionally well. I feel um, everything. It, it's uh, every year is so different. Um, they bred up very well and the, um, our maternal use started lambing earlier. We had more lamb early than we normally mm-hmm. do, which is a lot more work for me and, and, um, my, my, my guy Conejo, we call him the rabbit. <laughs> um, but, uh, he's, get, he's getting older too. <laughs> so both, both of us are definitely feeling it. Normally we have three, me, me, him, and one other guy out there, but we, have a little lighter numbers this year and so we decided we'd go ahead and try to man up and do it ourselves but uh, we're gonna need the help yeah so we got justin justin's coming in and helping part-time now and then when we get busy it'll be it'll be really going but the craziest thing for me so we got we had 341 like five days ago 241 like five days ago at that ranch we probably are close to 300 now born on the ground since and we started lambing right around maybe September 28th, something like that. Um, 27th, 28th. So it's been two and a half weeks, which is a lot. Um, but um, we had not pulled any lambs, we did not had to pull any lambs until yesterday. Wow. We had a set of triplets, was the first lambs we pulled all year, which was just that's tremendous. I don't know what that is. I don't know what to attribute it to, but, um, I am, I was very, I'm very happy about it, but, um, it's really, I'm really interested at, I'd, I'd love to figure out why. Same, same Rams. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, we haven't really made any major adjustments to our Ram fleet or anything like that. Um, just, you know, the feeds different. This I year. wonder if it's a, yeah, if it's a feed and issue, so, we've, we've seen that opposite end of that when we've had, a really warm October, November, warm and wet October, November. So we had the best feed quality we've ever had kind of in that first trimester of pregnancy. And we pulled yeah. more lambs than we have ever pulled before or since that year. See, I would argue that we've had the best nutrition on our use that we've maybe ever had. Just the strength of the feed, it was short, but really strong yeah. um, all year. And that showed in the yeah. breed up and, um, it also shows in the vitality and the health of the lambs themselves. We don't have the uh, mutations you normally have. The, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, typically we'll have a, 
a lot more. I don't know. I think we've had like three or four with kind of those bow legged joints or something yeah. like that. And typically we'd have maybe a dozen. And so it's, it's been, it's been a really busy, but really nice lambing so far. I mean, granted, we got, we got plenty to go <laughs> and, and, um, you know, I'm just looking at my little world here. We got the two ranches and, and they got twice the sheep at the other place and, uh, but things are going good at both spots. Good. So I know hopefully, good, good, good. hopefully it will, uh, yeah. It's been fun. It's been fun. I got like 17 bummers bouncing around, <laughs> making, making milk like crazy. Bummers are fun for about four days. Mm-hmm. And all the visitations. Hey, everybody yeah. loves to visit them, but no one stays to clean. Exactly. The exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what's what are you up to? I've seen some forest pictures and I've seen some bears on game cameras and i've seen all sorts of fun stuff yeah let's see sheep wise we're uh what are we two weeks into breeding um so we're just kind of tapering off our flushing feeding here in the next four or five days which will be good to well we won't irrigate anymore after friday and won't feed anymore after saturday so that's good do you use uh, do you watch them? Do you watch heats? Do you, you know, how do you see if they're bucking up or not? Or do you just throw them out? And <laughs> we, uh, you know, you've heard the term standing heat. Well, we yep. turned the bucks in and we had to walk one group over to another ranch and we had walking heat apparently because we were yeah. within the first 30 minutes, there were five or six ewes that, that got bred multiple times on the walk over. Oh, so I, I think they're cycling. Like, yeah 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 good. yeah so you'll just watch them for an hour half an hour and see if they're working and if they're working then walk away and yeah and we'll you know we'll kind of assess as we're feeding that's that's one of the other things we do when we're feeding like this we'll we'll feed um feed some grain every morning and you can tell the bucks will come up and eat and then they'll they'll shortly lose interest in the grain and become interested in the ewes again and and uh, that's always a good sign and have you ever used those, I don't know what they call them, tup markers? Yeah, the harnesses, yeah. The chest plates? We have, and I'm horrible at untangling the straps and getting them on right. So usually by about day two, the ram's tripping over it and, you know, he's marked his, <laughs> own, his own back or something. But, yeah. but yeah, those always look pretty cool until I look at one of my horn legs <laughs> and think, ah, yeah, I don't want to have to get that off of him. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to put it on. I don't want to take it off. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just do a hard yeah. pass. Yeah, that's kind of where we are too. Kind of where we are. Oh, that's good. Oh. That's good. Yeah, things are yeah. good. We've been checking trail cameras up in Truckee. Lots of bear activity, as you probably saw. What's the, um, what's your project with the trail cameras? So we are, we put the trail cameras out in a, a grid in areas where the sheep are grazing and then adjacent mm -hmm. areas where there aren't going to be sheep. And we're able to track kind of wildlife presence through those cameras. And then we've got GPS collars on guard dogs and on a handful of sheep. And so we're able to look at what happens to um, the frequency of catching predators on those cam or any wildlife on those cameras when the dogs are present versus when they're not present and yeah. um it gives us some sense of kind of how far the dogs are moving and you know what they're responding to in their environment and it's been been interesting 
Have you, has there any, um, I mean, everything's anecdotal right now, but, um, is there, is there any difference between the, um, sheep grazed, um, area and wildlife activity versus the non-grazed areas and wildlife activity? Or is it I same? suspect there's a little bit of difference. I think, you know, one of the things we're trying to test is whether the dogs displace wildlife when they're there with the sheep, or yeah. if they just, um, you know, just disrupt that predatory behavior. And, um, and I think there is some displacement at a real micro scale. So if the dog, if the dog is in my office, there's not going to be coyotes in my office, but if the dog is in my office, there may be coyotes two offices down where, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not a total displacement. But do, do you monitor it after the sheep have left the range? And, yeah. um, you know, where you have that, where you have the sheep have impacted the environment yeah. there. Have you seen an increase or decrease wildlife activity versus the non non touched? Areas? We're going to have to go through the pictures, but I think just um, this anecdotally, it, this is sheep exactly no, no, no research, no one listens. exactly yeah. exactly except for Matt Hayes's class. Yeah. So, oh yeah, Matt Hayes is Professor, professor Matt, Matt Hayes. Hayes. Yeah. So yeah. if you guys are listening to this, this is not science, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> this, is, this is the world of the great generalists. <laughs> so I think they, they do come back in after the dogs are out of there. We had a, an interesting thing. We put a camera up. There was a, um, a ewe that died on the forest this year, probably pneumonia. And um, we put a camera up to kind of see what was happening um, after the sheep left that area. And... Um, we had multiple coyotes, multiple bears, and then we had we had several um, sequences of photographs where there was a bear, and two or three minutes later the guard dog showed up and the bear's gone. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see that kind of interaction too. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that that is talked a lot uh, about a lot with wolves is that bone piles can be a real attractant um, to wolves and other predators, and and we certainly saw that that. You know, you yeah. want to make sure in that kind of environment, you're, you're aware of the other attractants out there. So that's a good point. I think, yeah, that's a, that's definitely a good point that it's, it's important to handle the, the dead stock and make sure you get it out or bury yeah. it or render it yeah. or something. So you don't bring, otherwise, I guess you're kind of, teaching <laughs> you're, you're teaching them to like, like Chum, mutton. You're chumming the. <laughs> Coming to exactly. water. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I'd be curious. I don't I mean, I, I I love this stuff because I have no um I'm not gonna do any of the physical work <laughs> at all. But um I really that's really interesting. I'd be fascinated to see kind of the I know it's a guard dog focused study, but it'd be fascinating to to look at the grazed area and then the impact on like the herbivore yeah. uh uh, species coming in behind yeah. the sheep either in the spring before they get there or after they leave and see what kind of activity they have and then how the predators interact with that it'd just be interesting so, you know. i think that'd be interesting i think it's also going to be interesting and i haven't figured out how does it to design this project but i think probably the sheep that are bonded to a dog are going to go mm -hmm. graze places that sheep without a dog aren't comfortable going to in, a, in an open range setting like that. So I yeah. think probably the dogs help get a little more efficient 
forage utilization out of the sheep. But so, sounds like to me that in the next five years or so, Dan Macon is going to have himself a sheep trailer in a camp <laughs> up on a gorgeous forest allotment, <laughs> all all paid for by grant money. <laughs> Research, or, all in the name of research or all paid for by dan make it if things keep going the way they go yeah. well that too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh that's good that's good no that's cool stuff that, that's always fascinating how that and it seems so different you know a lot you know forest to forest yeah. species to species yep. you know it's all it's such biology so complex yeah. it's just fascinating how all that plays together that's cool you're studying that i've that's I've been had. it's been a fun project and and lots more to to learn yeah. so very cool so today i wanted to talk you mentioned you uh are on irrigated pasture or are you going are. to yep yeah and so in your irrigated pasture and i had a whole list of questions but i left my book at home <laughs> so we're just gonna wait that'll, but, that'll um, be different how it's good it's good the banter lasted a little longer than normal but <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh man. So anyway, but you're on irrigated pasture and I wanted to talk today about irrigated pastures and, and kind of get into kind of pasture management and, and even into kind of some of the sp- focus on kind of the species of grass and, and understanding where, where and how to develop and manage a piece of irrigated pasture. So you're foothills, right? right? Auburn and it's, um, high, is it high iron soil or what kind of soil are you on up there? So our main irrigated pasture is a, is a, um, kind of a loamy soil. It's probably one of the better ag soils around Auburn. Um, it had been in orchard, which gives you some sense that it's, it's probably a decent soil with pretty good water holding capacity. Um, we do have a, is it red, not, red dirt? Not particularly. Or... We've got some iron in it, but it's, it's, kind of typical for these foothill soils um and it's you know depending on where we are we've probably got 18 inches to 24 inches of topsoil um so it's not a (laughs) if you've built fence in this soil you know that there's rocks um and and lots of rocks is it granite underneath yeah there's some weathered granite there's some weathered i forget what the parent material is i'd have to look at the soil survey there's there's granite we're not as as much decomposed granite as they are a little further down in the foothills we got a little better soil than that dg um this is totally an aside for my own curiosity do you have any old mines not on our place no no No. we've got um some of our our winter ground there's an old um what's called a coyote hole um an old copper mine where they did some prospecting and didn't find anything but yeah yeah, my granddaddy, he lived up there in the mountains and we'd always go around and there was all those old mine shafts and stuff. Man, it was just yeah, cool thing yeah. as a kid. You look for the, you can get all those crystals just sitting in the, in the, the yep. spoils because they didn't care about those. They, just they wanted, wanted color. <laughs> yeah, they wanted color, but you got really cool stuff. I think I actually have one. For those of you listening to the podcast, Ryan is now showing me a crystal. Uh, yeah, a rock. <laughs> See, those things those are, are so cool. cool. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But anywho, um, so so you and then you irrigate your uh you're on a hill, I imagine, because you're in a yep. foothill. So I'd imagine yep. it's on a hill. And so your type of irrigation is gonna what do you use for irrigation? So we use a, a K line system. Um 
on the main ranch that we lease. Um, it's a, a draggable pod system that was developed in New Zealand. Um, and it's a sprinkler head kind of in a little. Yeah. Yeah. It's like those run off a garden hose weebles kind of that thing. wobble, but don't fall down. You know, it's a, it's a pod with a, we use impact sprinklers and then it's got two inch flexible black pipe um, that we're able to drag from one end of the pasture to the other. Got five sets of those that we, we drag every day. So, yeah. And you're, you drag them every day. And so you're watering every day. Yeah. Or? So, you know, irrigation, we, we, as you do down there, I'm sure we look at, at um, irrigation set and then rotation. And so most of our, all of our sets are, are designed to go for 24 hours. And our rotation optimally would be every 10 days, we'd be back in the same zone on the pasture. That's um, fast. But see, does the water drain, does the water drain out quick there? Well, we only have 18 inches of, of soil to hold, hold the water. So our, our rooting yeah. depth is 18 to 24 inches. And um, yeah. so it takes, takes getting over it. With each irrigation probably puts about two inches of water um, on that zone of the pasture. So. And then what kind of plant species you have in there? <laughs> you know, we've got stuff that we planted and we've got stuff that came in and some of it's good and some of it's not. Um, so, so, so what, what would, uh, so sum that up, you know, you, you said, did you, did you, did you start with a blank slate and try to develop a pasture and you want to. So when we started it, we didn't do it optimally. I think if we were, if we were doing it over again, we would have done that. We, um, we went through in 2014. So kind of at the height of the last drought and, um, applied for some cost share funding to upgrade the irrigation system. And then we went through and yep. Equip. Yep. Yeah. Anybody out there doesn't know what equip is. You environmental know. quality incentives program through the natural resources, Google. conservation service. Yep. Google it and reach out to your people, especially if you're a starting farmer, they can really yep. help out. a yep. lot. Yep. Absolutely. So at that point, um, we applied for equip. We went through and disked, um, the entire, we've got about 15 acres of pasture at this site, disked it. We broadcast, um, seeded, a mix of um, tall fescue, endophyte free tall fescue, um, orchard grass, uh, ladino clover, and um, a little bit of bird's foot trefoil. And I think we also had some, a little bit of perennial rye and, and some annual rye just to hold the hillsides in. So we seeded that um, right before the first rains, the fall of 2014. Um, fall of 2013 they didn't get us our equip until the spring of 2014 or the fall of 2014 i should say so we went for a whole season without being able to irrigate what we planted classic i got a half a mile of pipes <laughs> on the ranch waiting for them to say go ahead and put it yeah. in yeah and no, so it's, it's, right. it's only like fifty thousand dollars yeah yeah really you know it's doesn't matter to them. sitting on top of the ground it does everybody a lot of good that way so, so we started irrigating some of it some of the seed persisted and came up um we got a lot of stuff that was just kind of there so our pastures are a mix of those species um 
And then we've got Bermuda grass, we've got Johnson grass, we've got some weed species that, that don't have much value at all. Um, we get blackberries coming back in, which actually the sheep will, will eat pretty well. Yeah, they do all right on the blackberries. Yeah. Goats do yeah. even better. Yeah, I, the only problem with sheep and blackberries is I'm sure that's how somebody invented Velcro. They watch sheep graze on blackberries and, huh, I bet we could make something stick together there. Yeah. But uh, So that was kind of the initial setup. We've since gone through last fall um, and our last pass over the pasture, we broadcast um, some drought resistant orchard grass and some white clover and some bird's foot trefoil again. And we got some establishment over the winter. So we improved the, the species composition just by doing that. We'd, we'd spread the seed and then trample it in with the sheep and, and figure we'd get what we got. And it, it worked reasonably well. So, um, how how even or smooth or what kind of ground prep do you need in your kind of country our country you know ideally it would have been the first time we did it we had pretty good ground prep so we we ran a a disc over it um if things were dry in the fall we turned off the water early let it dry out and die um ideally we might have thought about getting a germination coming back and killing all of those seeds and then putting our seed in um in retrospect because we didn't have the water the next spring it probably didn't matter a whole lot anyway um but then we broadcast the seed and ran over everything with a spike tooth harrow just to make sure we had good seed to soil contact and in our country that works reasonably well i think kind of the cadillac version in the foothills would be to run a a no-till seed drill over it um, and that way you're minimizing the soil disturbance which tends to increase the weed germination um, the following spring and you're getting good seed to soil contact um, but hard to find there's like one or two guys that have a, a no-till drill up here and you know the week week yeah. before it rains everybody's got a use for it and then it sits the rest of the year <laughs> that's the truth we we've been uh we've been our cover crops we planted them dry last year and we're going to plant them again dry what do you plant year. what yeah. what varieties do, what species do you plant for your cover crop uh it's a daikon radish uh barley wheat and um forage peas but let me i can get the exact i think it's a new durkin um gosh darn it Nothing like good radio <laughs> listening to someone look something up on their phone here. Let me see. What this is why doing. we spend so much time in rehearsal, folks. Yes. Uh, beardless barley, new Durkin wheat, forage peas, and daikon radish. And if it's a real high, if it's a real hot feed, a lot of nitrogen, we'll drop the peas okay. and just go with the radish, barley, and wheat. So I didn't what uh how did how do you seed that in do you drill it in or do you broadcast it um so we've been shopping for a seeder but i haven't pulled the trigger yet we had it custom planted the last okay. few years and so it was a like a chiseled planter and then um and this year it's gonna be air seeder i think it's a different guy doing it this year than last year you know that's a that's a difference between down there and up here too is that you've got kind of that 
network of farming operations and custom work. Yeah, we have cereal grain yeah. farmers that are down here. Yeah, you don't have that up in yeah. your country. Um, so so when you um, you came up with a pretty cool mix there with kind of fescues and different grasses and clovers, could you walk through the reasons as to why you selected those? For well, it was region? in the mix. <laughs> no, yeah. we, we so you'll hear people up here, and I don't know if it's a term you hear in, in the valley, but people will kind of interchangeably refer to irrigated pasture as permanent pasture. And so that implies that these are perennial plants. We're not just irrigating an annual plant that's going to complete its life cycle and die in a year. We want these plants to come back year after year. Orchard grass, um, the varieties that we've used, there's been some, some great work done in the Middle East um, on drought tolerant orchard grass varieties. And so we know we don't have quite enough water for our pasture in July and August. So we want something that's gonna survive that kind of man-made drought that happens during our really hot months. Um, we wanted fescue just because it's pretty easy to establish. I'm not real, real happy with the, with the uh, palatability of the fescue for the sheep, but it, but it is green feed and, and they will graze it. Um, and then we wanted a mix of clovers. Um, white clover does really well. Ladino clover does well in our environment. I, I have read, and I don't know, um, I'd like to, to read more about this. The clovers, the legumes produce a phytoestrogen, which can inhibit cycling in, in females. Um, and so one of the benefits of this bird's foot trefoil is that it's very low in the phytoestrogens and doesn't have that much impact. And it also doesn't cause bloat like the white clover can cause. Trefoil is pretty yeah. hardy too. Once it's established, I think it's a little harder to get yeah. it going. But but I think if we were going to overseed again, I would just do trefoil. Well, I can't get it to stay in our hills, but I can't get it out of my <laughs> Maybe you need to graze the sheep on the lawn. <laughs> You know, I was pretty proud of it. This is a total aside, but it's a fun story. So when we bought the house we live in now, um, it was all standard lawn, you know, it had mostly fescue. And um, I personally detest fescue <laughs> because, but it's, and I want to, anybody who likes fescue, there's a really, really valuable place for fescue. But our country, where we're at, we're in Delta lowlands. We don't freeze. And so fescue really doesn't do well because of the palatability issue that, that yep. you're talking about. It does extremely well, but then it ends up outcompeting everything else and taking over your entire pasture because, um, because of the sheep don't graze it and the cows don't like it. And so it's the last feed to go. And then it just ends up taking over an entire pasture. But that aside, so anyway, I had my lawn and um, I did it. I seeded ryegrass into it and I, um, it started turning green and getting really good. But then all of a sudden I noticed a little patch of strawberry red clover <laughs> just appear. And so I, I babied it and it just grew and grew and grew. And now my front lawn is like three quarters strawberry <laughs> clover. And <laughs> I guarantee you it came in off of my boots or out of some sheep crap that, <laughs> that, came, that I just shook off in my, cause it's right there. It started right in the corner by where the concrete <laughs> lip is right where I walked to the you front probably, door and kick my shoes off. You probably scrape your boot there when you come home, right? 
Yeah, that's where I do it. I kick my boots yep. right there. That's where it started. So, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what that had to do with what we were talking about, but I thought it was Let's funny. Ch- ch- change your name to Vector. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, c- kind of on that line, though how how do you when you're developing a pasture um, when when you're developing a pasture, how do you account for that? uh, natural vector or the, the, the natural seedbed that's there. I feel like the, the reason for this question, and I want to get your opinion on it is, is, um, so often when we, when you talk to somebody about planting a pasture, especially a seed salesman, they're like, you need this species, this species, this species, this species, not accounting for the fact that this is a living and active pasture already that has a seed bed that exists and you're going to be grazing it with livestock. That's going to be moving things mm-hmm. in and out. And so there's a, there's a whole management side of your selection of your pastures. And I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on how do you, you know, if you're, if you're sitting in the middle of the country and you wanted to plant a piece of irrigated pasture, how do you, how do you think about, you know, how do you digest the information from that seed company that wants to do it in a lab or in a farm-based setting and actually think about it in a, in a livestock management attitude? I think that's a, a really good question. And I think part of it for me comes down to kind of what the goals for the pasture are. So I think it would be different if we were using this pasture to cut an early crop of hay off of, for example, we'd want more uniformity. We'd want less weeds in it. We'd, we'd worry more about the weeds in it if we were cutting hay. And we'd probably worry more about what we were bringing in with the sheep to some extent. I think part of the, <clears throat> the challenge here in the foothills, um, and at least in our system, is that we're, we're irrigating with ditch water from our irrigation district. It's all gravity fed. It's all open ditches, um, much, most of them unlined ditches. And so despite our best weed management efforts, we're basically hydro seeding the pasture every time the water's on. Anything with a small enough seed to go through the the orifice of the rainbird sprinkler gets deposited with moisture on the soil surface. And so how how big a seed would that be just for perspective? Because when I think of a sprinkler, it's pretty dang small. And most of the seeds that we plant wouldn't make it through. Clover Clover would, a lot of the grass seeds would, and and by experience, a lot of our weed seeds would. So we've got kind of two weedy grasses that are a problem here in the foothills. Smut grass is one of them. And it's got a little bitty tiny seed that, that I know comes in on our water. And then we've got another weed species called broom sedge um, that's got a small enough seed that it, it'll come through the water. And it probably sticks to wool um, to some degree too. So I, I think... Um, you know, for us, the purpose of our irrigated pasture is to have a place to put pears when the feed's drying out late spring, and then have a place that's green and higher um, protein content in August than our native or late August, early September than our, our rangeland feed. And so an older you that's been exposed to that wide variety of things in our pasture is going to get nutritional value out of the fescue and the orchard grass and the clover, but she's also going to eat the mare's tail. She's going to eat um, some of the other broadleaf weeds in that paddock. She's going to eat the the annuals that start to germinate come September. And so if I were trying to finish lambs on it, 
I'd be a, I'd want a much more uniform, higher quality pasture, but because of, of the purpose of our pasture and our system, I'm willing to accept some of those weed issues because it doesn't cost me as much to, to deal with them. Does that make sense? No, that's a really good, good point. I, I like that because it, it, it gets to that. You got to set a goal for what you want to use that field for. And then based on that goal, um, like I just sitting here thinking I'm, I'm so biased to just clover, clover, <laughs> clover, 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 but we're finishing animals. We're always pushing right. that. We want weight gain. We want that young, youthful animal gaining weight on that clover. Um, we're not maintaining a cow. We're not maintaining a ewe. That's not our goal. And when we moved our cows because of the drought onto these fields, we've experienced a ton of problems because that field isn't, isn't built for cows. It's built for. So what kind of problems? What are you seeing? Uh, nitrogen causing nitrogen toxicity, causing abortion okay. in cows was probably the first one. Uh, the heifers, uh, our bread heifers were too fat and because the feed was just so rich and, uh, we were late in polling and we lost some calves because of that. Um, I the, the, the water, um, them drinking out of the mm -hmm. ditch, uh, the ditch water instead of the water trough has caused mm -hmm. some issues. Um, just, yeah, just a whole host of just random different problems that we weren't used to the minerals are different than yeah. what they're used to this time of year and so their their internal biology is a little jacked up which just causes problems yeah. changes um, their metabolism just, and yeah oh yeah it's just been a yeah it's been a it's been a big struggle on the cows um our ewes are not on that feed but our cows we moved quite a few up there and it's been like i said it's been a big challenge we've been able to hold the cow herd together because we did it so i'm glad yeah. we did it because otherwise we wouldn't have the cows but it's still it, it's amazing how your point about set your goals build your pasture for those goals and then um and then manage within it is i i think that's that's really spot on because you know just we, you know, whenever, whenever we plant a pasture, anybody says, suggests, um, oh, you should put some uh, orchard grass in there. Like, <laughs> you know, oh, you should put some pesky. What? No way. I don't want any yeah. of that stuff. It, but, um, if you're, if you're going to maintain a breeding animal, you probably want yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I think. And yeah. Yeah. And then your climate too dictates what you can do too. Cause you, you do want to look at your whole ranch and do the highest and best use of that property. You don't want to. Absolutely. And I think the other piece that kind of is evolving for us is thinking about warm season versus cool season um, forages. You know, I think the, the fescue and the orchard grass and the clover are what we would call cool season. And so they really thrive in that um, springtime time period. And they start to thrive again once we get cooler, shorter days, cooler nights in September. Well, and that fescue is a godsend when you when yeah. you're cold, and and most of the country gets yep. cold. The Sacramento River Delta doesn't <laughs> get cold. Dan Macon will be frozen in his snow boots, and I'll be. I had to have. <laughs> I'll be sitting on my kayak fishing. <laughs> I had to have. I had to have gloves on to move water this morning. We had, we had ice caking yeah. the plants this morning where I had water running. Holy so, man! Yeah. Yeah. But by the same token, what you know, I think the warm season stuff. In, in July and August is important. We get Dallas grass a lot in our, our pastures, probably also coming in. We've never planted it, but it, I'm sure it's coming in with the water as well. And, and uh, 
Johnson grass is kind of that same warm season weedy crop that I say. So, so my next question is, um, you plant your pasture, you set your goal, you got your sweet mix, you did all your dirt work, everything's all looking really good, and you plant your pasture, and half of the species that you planted don't germinate and grow, and you end up with the other stuff. How, how do you do you disc it in and start over? Do you manage with it? You know, what, how do you, you know, how, how do you manage through that? So I, we always kind of joke um, in our operation that we have an iron deficiency and it's not a lack of iron in the soil. It's a lack of equipment in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing though. It's cheaper to do it, it is. that way. It is. You know, if I had the equipment, I might go through and try to, to piece off chunks of this pasture and renovate stuff on a yearly basis. Yeah. Five bucks a gallon, <laughs> gallon diesel. Exactly. Exactly. Our approach has always been tried to kind of try to get the grazing management right. And I, I do think there's some importance to that, that no matter the quality of the stand you establish, if you don't manage the grazing right, you're going to graze it out of existence. And so really mm -hmm. getting that dialed in has been part of it. We're talking about, we've got a couple of spots in, in some of this pasture where we've got these weedy species come in. And we're kind of talking about maybe doing a late summer like forage turnip or radish planting in those areas, work the ground up, plant that, get it irrigated and, and get something for the sheep to graze on in October, November. Um, but how, how do you deal with, with that kind of thing? Is that something you would start over with or would you just proceed? So my, my, my grandpa has always preached that it's grazing first, that you need to, it's the grazing and management of that field and that you're nine times out of 10, he'd say, you know, this, he always exaggerated to make the point, but you know, nine times out of 10, if you take a raw piece of ground and you graze it correctly, you will get the proper species. Mm -hmm. Um, and so planting should complement that, but should not replace that. You really need to work on that grazing yeah. management and you can screw up one, two, three, five, ten 10 years, and you can fix it in one to three with proper nutrient management and uh, you know you can get it back in shape pretty quick if, if you in grazing i've i've heard that kind of put this way that you should you should manage for what you want not for what you wish wasn't there and so if yeah. you focus your grazing on on regrowth of the clover and the other species that you do want um, and give them that competitive edge i think i think that is kind yeah. of the same approach so one of the other problems we're having with our cows on the irrigated pastures we brought these cows in and we started calving and so we're restricted in how we can build our bunches and the size of the bunches and how we can put sheep in with them to complement the pasture and we have it's a it's like a fescue that um kind of grows into like a bunch grass and it is uh, just absolutely exploded because of our inability to manage that grass yeah. properly. And it's, it's amazing how critical that is. I mean, these were fields that were just licked clean, gorgeous, you know, six inch clover yeah. last fall. And now they're spotty bunchy with this grass everywhere. And it's all just from 
you know, it's, I, I don't want to say the term mismanagement because we're managing it differently, but it's the management is affecting that feed. It's not the other way That's, around. I, I absolutely get that. We, we, this time of year have two different breeding groups. And when you, when you add to it, the fact that we've got these um, long irrigation sets with the, with the K line, we have to fence our paddocks much bigger than we would otherwise, just so I can continue to move water. We tried an experiment last year after we, we pulled the bucks and, and put everybody in one mob and we ran, we're all temporary fence. We ran paddocks that were, we were having to move every two days. And our utilization was so much better and we impacted, we impacted the stuff we wanted, but we really impacted the stuff that we didn't want there because it was a tight management system. And so our forage quality this spring was much better than it's typically been because we dialed the grazing in at the end of the season last year. Yeah. But you can't always do that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, and you know, the, the flip side of that story, it was like maybe seven, eight years ago there was this one ranch that we had and it had this bunch grass stuff. That's just terrible. It's it's, I think it's a fescue. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure off the send a picture or something of it to you to see what it is. But when you feel the blade of grass, it's smooth going up, but then it has like razor blades on the edges going down and it just irritates their throat. It doesn't taste really good. I don't think. And they leave it anyway. It was just completely overtaking these fields and this whole ranch to the point where other people would say, Hey, I need to, you don't got enough livestock in there. You got to take it. Well, we ended up getting in a bunch of sheep and we ended up putting, I think like 1400 lambs and 400 calves on like, I don't know, 30, 40 acre field and just absolutely smoked it down to nothing. And then it came back. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on heavy impact and clean it up, force them to eat it and then pulled them off and it ended up really cleaning up that pasture and it's the same same field that was split in half and so we impacted the west half and didn't do it on the east half and it we was got a real stark production. difference i'll bet yeah 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 it's really pretty incredible so i mean it yeah that management is just it's everything and we don't get it right every time and uh, you mess up one year, you just got to try to do it better. Yeah, and it's not year. the end of the world when you when you try something that doesn't work. I think you you learn from it and, and adjust and do it better the next time you've got a chance to do it, you know? So then the flip side of um, prepping the ground and picking out your seed and doing all the, the, you know, doing it by the nines that way, why not just turn on the water on a piece of ground and see what happens? <laughs> We've done some of that too. We've done some of that too. So yeah. we... What happens? You get when lots you of great weeds. You yeah. get some Bermuda grass. We've got a little piece at home that we've done that with just to kind of see what would come. And it's almost like there's a succession. You get the stuff that that comes in on that bare soil right away. So we get a lot of mallow and um, just some crappy ass weeds. That's a, a scientific term, by the way. Um, it's in your yeah. weed manual. For Matt Hayes' exactly. class, just so you know, you you can write right, that in there. Right. Then yeah, we'll get weeds. Yes. <laughs> but then once you kind of get the impact of animals on those pastures, um, you start getting some more desirable things. Now we've got some clover coming in and, and some orchard grass that's probably come in on the water. Um, that said, I think there's, there's this perception that you can just turn the water on and make that irrigated pasture. 
And in my mind, that's an irrigated field of weeds. Yes, it's green. Yes, it may have some feed value, but it's not something you're going to finish lambs or finish steers on. It's it's just green vegetation during the summer, basically. Yeah. What's your what's been your experience? But, um, well, if we ever we've we've done some stuff where um, I mean we I we haven't really done that, but like we've taken like an alfalfa mm -hmm. field mm -hmm. back and just seeded on clover mm -hmm. behind it. And, um, that's been an interesting learning curve this year. The clover did really well, but, um, the farmer, because ryegrass is so strong historically, you don't have to plant ryegrass because ryegrass yeah. just grows in our area. It's not yeah. a problem, but because it was formerly an alfalfa and, um, ryegrass is horrible for alfalfa. The farmer <laughs> sprayed and 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 ended up finally getting it all out over the 10 year or the five year stand and then tried to put it back in. There was no, there's no, no seed ryegrass in the seed yeah. beds. Yeah. So we have to reseed some, some, some ryegrass in there. But I personally, I really like the approach on irrigated pasture of kind of seeing what you have and it's got to be regional. Like I think if I was in the foothills, you, you need to introduce some of those seeds before you yeah. start, but out where we're at in these Delta flats, the seed bank is so dense with some pretty good seed already. Um, like ryegrass, um, that I like the approach of going in there early and kind of seeing what's there, grazing it down hard and then planting over mm -hmm. what you need mm -hmm. rather than going into, you know, getting too expensive in your seed mix and planting too much too quick. Cause the other thing too, like you can take a small, you can take a small little seed bank of clover and if you manage it right, it'll fill the whole field in a year and a half, yeah. two years. It'll take time and management, but you can fill that whole field with a pretty small start. So like we've had stuff where we've seeded out clover really lightly, not had enough seed, but then through two years of grazing and irrigating the whole field, solid clover. And so it just, it kind of depends on. We see that. We see that too. And one of the things that, that we kind of noticed happened on by mistake that we may, we may do on purpose next year. We had, uh, <laughs> as a result of the drought, all the ditches were dry when they, when they started running water to us. And mm -hmm. so it took probably 45 days for the ditches to run at that volume. So we had our early irrigation season was really rough. And yeah. as a consequence, we kind of let a few places with shallower soils or where we couldn't quite get the water spread um, like we wanted to. We just let those go this year and really focused on the areas where we knew we could grow some good feed in July. And then they got their water figured out. And by middle of August, we could get water on those areas we'd let go. And they've got a great stand of of newly germinated annual grasses, ryegrass and, and stuff like that on those areas that we let die. Well, since our goal is to have feed for the ewes in September and October, having that germinated annual is, is really helpful for us. If we were trying to feed lambs through the summer, it'd be a whole different thing, but it may be a way for us to kind of optimize our water use in the future and, and still grow some fall feed. And that stand of annuals came from years of grazing prior to letting it go right. dry. If you were to try that on a field that wasn't right. wasn't grazed before, you'd have completely different. We'd stuff have junk. Out. We'd have crappy crappy ass Those, weeds. But, 
Yeah. So that, but that history is important to know when you're looking at doing something because yep. that can I mean, it potentially save you a lot of money if you're, if you, if you know what was there historically <clears throat> and vice versa, if you know, if it was farmed and farmed and farmed and farmed for years, you also know you're going to have to put in right. a seed bank. Right. So it, yeah, really depends on what. You're and it comes about. back to getting that grazing right. I mean, I think your grandpa is exactly right yeah. that, that, that I think is the yeah. fundamental issue on pasture. Yeah. Cause I know like in our Hills, our cover crop that we're doing in our rangeland, it, that's a barley is, <laughs> I keep, I keep putting in the daikon radish and the other stuff, but I, I eventually it's just going to be straight <laughs> barley. Like my grandpa, it should be five years ago, but, um, but you, you know, that barley lasts one to one to three years, one to four years is all it lasts for if you're grazing it off. But it's fast. It's amazing how that barley gets out of the ground so quick. It, out competes your foxtails mm -hmm. and your um bronco grasses and some of your poor grasses that it just improves that that micro environment so much and then you're able to allow your bird clovers and filleries and stuff to kind of fill in underneath um, i like that daikon radish because of that tap root but... and that's uh, that's one of the reasons we kind of want to try to break up whatever's going on where we've got these weeds something with a little bigger root system that that can push yeah. down through there but It'll be an yeah. experiment. Yeah. And I, there's so much historical knowledge in the area yep. too. I mean, if you can tap into somebody like my grandpa, you know, or yep. in our area, or Richard Hamilton or Ian Anderson or any of those guys that yep. have done it before, there's so much knowledge there that um, can save you a lot. Like I'm still pounding my head against the wall, ignoring <laughs> my grandpa, only barley. No, that's, uh, that's, an outstanding point too and and having the opportunity to share and learn from from folks that have done it for so long is a really important part of being in a community yeah too. Well, i agree i agree yep. well that's cool oh the other question i wanted to ask is um is how important it is is it to um take into account your weather mm when you're picking your pastures and you know what what if you're in if you're in an area that freezes what do you need to not plant and if you never freeze what do you need to not plant? <laughs> that's it <clears throat> yeah you know just you know sometimes um there's there are some similar response plant responses to drought and to or water deficit and to frost so like johnson grass is similar to uh to sudan in that it once it freezes, it can concentrate some toxins, um, particularly at the base of the plant. So thinking about that, if you're going to get real cold, what does that look like? We don't ever grow fully. We're not cold enough where we are to go fully dormant in the wintertime. You know, if we were up in the, up in Susanville or, or Modoc Plateau or something, that'd be a whole different set of circumstances um, where that stuff all goes dormant and, and freezes pretty hard in a typical winter. A lot of those pastures are going to have a few different species. They may have some orchard grass and fescue, but they'll have some some other more cold tolerant stuff too. Um, I think in the you know one of the I'm not not terribly well versed on this, but one of the challenges with warm season grasses is that they don't quite have the same nutritional profile and palatability typically that the cool season forages do. And so finding something that 
that the sheep or the cattle are going to eat and recognizing that they may be a little lower protein, a little lower energy um, and designing as you found designing a mineral supplementation strategy to kind of fit that profile, I think is, is part of the equation. Um, that's I think that's really a good point that it's a lot of the, a lot of your cold ranges, they feed just straight salt. They don't really have to have any micro minerals, but then if you're in the South where it's humid yeah. and hot, you, you better have a pretty comprehensive mineral out there. Cause there, there's so much water yeah. in the feed that you really need that that they pay attention to the minerals yeah. a lot more. That's, that's interesting. I never put that cold and warm to the mineral profile together. But How, just out of curiosity, is most of your irrigated pasture flood irrigated? Do you yes. have any sprinkler at all? Okay. Nope. No sprinkler. Yeah. It's all flood. Yeah. Yeah. And do you go in and level a field before you develop a pasture? Uh, yes, if we yeah. need to. Um, but okay. yeah, we try not to develop. How pastures. often do you have to pull checks? Oh, I, my irrigators like pulling them more than I do. Um, uh, it, it, once you get a check established, it lasts for, gosh, it lasts for a good 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it, it but it depends on conditions and impact and how, it, when you pulled it, if you pulled it in the winter versus the spring versus the fall makes a difference. Um, if you graze, if you pulled it in the fall and grazed it, it'll be yeah. different um yeah it's it's tough to really yeah it really have a good clean answer on everything it's pasture to pasture do you have a set rotation on your irrigation or do you irrigate when soil conditions warrant how do you do that no we have a set we have a set time frame so we're on a three-week okay. schedule one week one week one week and um we try to it's important for us to kind of have that kind of set schedule um because the it just, it makes your, it makes your, um, labor a little right. more efficient. Um, we've been toying with the idea that as the season progresses, like right now to stretching it. Um, but this year was, uh, this year is just so yeah. goofy, um, that it is, it's hard to compare anything. Yeah, to this it, year. Is. Um, it is. But yeah. Yeah. But you can certainly save some water. It just depends on like for us, like I said, we have, we have our irrigators that are set up and it's so much easier to say, here's your schedule. Turn ons are these days, turn offs are these days, go ahead and run your water. And it just works. Well, and that's, you know, our system, we still buy our water by the miner's inch here in the foothills and yeah. a miner's inch is 11 point something gallons per minute. You're, you know, yeah. round the clock. So if we shut the water off, there's more water going down the ditch and maybe spilling out of the ditch we run things 24 seven during the irrigation season. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on how yeah. you're set up. And I mean, you, you guys are able to monitor it a lot closer than we are. And so where you're able to actually monitor soil moisture and stuff like that. I mean, we, yeah, but we're still, we're still coming back to every two weeks and we're watering 24 hours, you know, I, I think that's another impact that's super important to pay attention to is, um, the livestock can have a hugely negative impact on your pasture. If you start running livestock, if running water, absolutely. The livestock. It'll screw up the feet on your, yep. on your livestock and it'll, it'll, um, deteriorate the quality and the evenness of the stand of the, of the pasture. Create so, some compaction issues potentially. And 
all sorts of things. Yeah, it's yep. really bad. And, and our cows, because we're calving and we have these cows, it's a different impact on that pasture. And we're seeing the yeah, effects now. And they've only been there for three months. So, and they're going to be moving off here soon too. But it's just, yeah, it's amazing how that those little things really do make big differences. And, and um, some of them take a long time yeah, to fix. That's, that's right. Have you looked at the 10 day forecast for Rio Vista? No. So, yes, supposedly I, I check, I check it hourly, <laughs> Dan, but there's no, there's no rain for us, rain for you, none for me. We're supposed to get an inch and a half. I'm not going to solve the ranch on based on this, but inch and a half of rain. Uh, when? weekend after next. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's we'll see if it gets here. If you get an inch and a half, that means that we're going to get, uh, three. Tenths. If we get an inch and a half of rain, I'll let you have part of my share of the bourbon. If we get an inch and a half of rain, I'm driving to see you and we're going to drink it all. Maybe time to party. Get the lamb chops out. We'll have a, we'll have a we'll big have a, shindig if it, if we'll we have get a campfire that. and yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if we get an inch and a half in rain, that means that the feed germinates and we're in good shape. I do. I am very happy though. I mean, we had the nasty North wind today, but it's so nice. Um, it's so nice that we're in kind of this more for us, it feels like more of a historical yeah. pattern where, you know, we haven't gotten any major rains yet, but we're having systems moving in and we're having this stuff and it's only a matter of time before and it's hits it's cool you, like it's supposed to be in october yeah and we're october yeah. 12th so i mean it's plenty early and yeah this is this feels like a more typical fall but who knows december yeah well yeah ask me yeah. in april yeah may exactly so exactly yep very good, Dan. I guess your turn is to take us out, but uh, this was really informative. I really appreciate it. any chance to talk to you about pastures and stuff. Always, well, much. me too. Me too. It's always interesting to hear how other people are doing it and, and learn from other folks. Yeah. So, thank you. And this is Sheep Stuff You Should Know. And uh, I'm Dan Macon up in Placer County, Auburn, California. And Ryan Mahoney's headed back to the lambing barn, I'm sure, and uh, down in Rio Vista. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. See you, Bye. Dan. <laughs>